A good day to you on this Wednesday, May 19th. Ryan Jesperson here. It is Real Talk, and we thank you for finding us. This show is presented by the team at Bitcoin Well. It's, it's uh, you know, relatively early in the day as, as, as we do this show here live. Regardless of when you're catching us, you may be in the same boat as me. My, my personal phone is going nuts. The chatter this morning between a couple a couple group texts that we maintain. All the boys are trying to figure out Bitcoin right now. And uh, everybody's got their own theories on what's going on. When I want to sound like I know what I'm talking about, when I want to sound like I know, like I understand crypto, I just reach out to Adam and his team at Bitcoin. Well, that's what I do. So I know what I'm talking about, or at least it sounds like I do. Adam's going to be on the show on Friday. You're not going to want to miss it. Right out of the gates, we're going to talk about, like, honestly, does Elon Musk control the fate of crypto, or can people have more confidence in it than that? In the meantime, you can check out Bitcoin Well under the Sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. In about 10 minutes, we're going to speak with the, the mayor of a BC, a British Columbia community that's experiencing tree poaching. This is actually a thing. Uh, forestry experts and, and officials around North Cowichan are saying that people are literally sneaking in or gaining access into certain forest areas to illegally take down, to illegally harvest furs and uh hang on a second furs is it it sounds it feels like moose the plural of fur should still be fur or is it furs oh gosh sam do you know because like if you're talking about like pelts you say furs if somebody has a collection of nice coats they have furs. okay interesting so i i think it's got an i i I think i'm gonna go with that sarah's looking it up i want to i want to in the spirit of of like bar trivia i mentioned monday night football trivia the other night and how i think it's been bastardized and ruined because everybody has their phones now i have not checked my phone nor googled however the the producer of this show the esteemed sarah hoyles has done a fact check oh boy yes it's true you can use furs furs yeah okay and, and you could say fur trees for trees, but you could also, you know, shorten things down to furs. But if you want to sound like uh, and by the way, Sherry, the cherry tree looking absolutely magnificent right now. <laughs> I, it's a little early to launch into our plug for Eden Landscaping this morning. Uh, but let me just say, thank God for the wisdom of people who said it's a little early to put Sherry in the ground. Uh, thank God for the wisdom and the gardening knowledge of the people that suggested that still a May snowfall could come, as we have seen in our home city of Edmonton, Alberta. Ladies and gentlemen, joining us from around the world, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, snap snap me into place if I'm exaggerating, but there's approximately, and I'm going to go with American terms because it always sounds cooler, there's approximately one to two inches of fresh snowfall on the ground this morning, correct? Uh, sure. I mean, I... You sound like you're not totally on board with where I'm going. You, this is a self-congratulatory exercise. No, I, I just... The measurements, again... Um, Should we say two to three centimeters? That, see, that I can get my head around, but I, I, I'm not really... Are you seriously cannot picture two inches? Two inches sounds quite, quite a bit more than a couple of centimeters to me. 
Yeah, well, it's a, I mean, technically, it's approximately two, almost bang on, right? 2.2, I think. Yeah, isn't about it? 2.2 2 centimeters really? in an inch, approximately. Oh, now I sound ish. real smart. But here's here. what you need to do. I usually go like, it's like, you know, approximately two centimeters to an inch. It's approximately three feet to a meter. It's approximately 60 miles an hour to 100 kilometers an hour, right? Ish, approximately. Ish, yeah. Ish, you know, ish. I. Well, I was going to say, um, going to going to engineering school in Canada in, you know, the, the time that I went there. So like from 20, 2007 on, you have to learn both systems like you're thrown and, and actually you're thrown equations where you get mixed stuff. You get a bunch of stuff in SI and a bunch of stuff in metric and you have to pick one and convert the other stuff. But it's, yeah, it's, they're probably just chill. Right. So when you're engineering, you're, you probably just say it's you're like ish. It's like two to one. Ish. Yeah. Yeah. Ish, and then they yeah. say and then they say, Samuel Brooks, have you turned in your assignment on building the bridge to span these two? You know, and you say, yeah, yeah, it's like it's like ish. It's like 150, you know, ish, 150 ish meters, give or take. And then people go, yeah, cool. And then everyone just shows up and turns their wrenches and then they build it. Yep, that's how it works. <laughs> this is pretty much how it goes. Uh, but but thank God that Sherry is, was not in the ground because this this snowfall could have been devastating. So so I'm just so grateful that the wisdom that we had will from con- Eden Landscaping will, will, will well well I mean I just want to take most of the credit for our team. But yes, it was from Eden Landscaping. You're right. <laughs> they actually reached out last night and said you didn't put Sherry in the ground yet, did you? I said no. Happy to report she's still thriving in the studio. Well, I mean, the, the you know, general wisdom that I've always heard is do not plant before yeah. May Long Weekend. And May Long Weekend's coming up this week. And I truly, I mean, no spring is complete without the freak snowfall. Yeah, depending on where you live, right? I mean, Sorry, you know, yeah. we we have friends joining us from places. They're just we don't even want to hear from them right now. It's so annoying. Yeah, right. They're they're waking up to the sound of macaws and they've got sand between their, <laughs> you know, their toes. And it's quite <laughs> frankly, it's annoying, is what it is. Although we do appreciate your correspondence, so so thank you for that. Uh, I had two separate conversations over the weekend with uh, two separate friends. One of them by the name of Jeff. He's an agricultural producer, and he was talking about the uh, the um, the controversy. You know, if farmers were able to get together, uh, you know, at the local coffee shop and hang out, I mean, everybody's waiting for that uh, to return as an option. But, you know, if, 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 you know, some of the debate would be around. Did you did you see who's seeding already? Boy, does he have does he have some intel? Because the farmers, you know, they take great pride and it's the whole idea behind and people are going to roll their eyes right now and the farmers are going to roll their eyes. But like the farmer's almanac, the yeah, whole I, right? I'm going to say the farmer's the whole almanac. idea being like farmers need to be able to predict the weather, predict the future, at least have some insight, sort of do the thing where you're like, what, lick, lick your finger and hold it up to the wind. And yeah, that feels like snow next week. You know, one of those kind of things. Um, and, uh, you know, so the farmers that have seeded already, you wonder right now if they're kind of going, oh, boy, because they had a bit of a head start on it. Right. You never know. And then my my pal Heather talking to her over the weekend, we're walking the dog, walk past her place. Always a showcase. It's always looking great. Always looking great. Best Christmas lights in the entire neighborhood by a mile, by 1.6 kilometers. The best Christmas lights you've ever seen. But she, her planters are out. Like, they, like her house looks fabulous. I know. And so, Sam, she's saying to me, she she says, oh, she goes, I know. She says, like, one of the neighbors, she was kind of joking. I don't want to get Heather in trouble with her neighbor in case her neighbor listens to the show. I should have said Heather, not her real name. So my pal Glenda. <laughs> Perfect. I'm, I'm talking to Glenda about her planters. Yeah. And, and so Heather says to me, she says, quite honestly, I think I might have to. I think I might be running some planters back in under some cover. 
running them back in into a heated scenario. They knew that. That's 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 the risk you take in May. What are you going to do? So to get back to the real story, remember this all started with whether or not fur could be plural or not. <laughs> Probably don't have to tell you if you've been building anything or or you've been looking to build something that that lumber co- I mean costs of building materials and before I even go into this, I, I'd rather have the audience school us on this than us try to school the audience because you know better than us. You're the ones that are building your new home or you're the ones that are adding on, you know, you know, adding a second level to your garage to make, you know, the mother in law suite type idea. You're the ones looking to build the new deck or, you know, to to build Sally or no, I just say Sarah because she's big into it. You know, her her first quarter pipe, you know, her first skateboard ramp, wh- whatever you're trying to do, if it's involved two by fours or plywood or whatever sam you're always constructing you're always getting into stuff have you noticed this firsthand somebody was telling me like two by fours are like 15 bucks now or like 20 bucks I, well i mean that's maybe a bit of an exaggeration but a couple weeks From ago when me? i was working on my basement i was paying about eight bucks a two by four and, and what would be normal two bucks two bucks yeah like okay, two so, or three so a 400 percent increase oh yeah but see what i did there is could we put it out on a show like real talk which obviously has a massive international audience. And now people are thinking that two by fours are 15 bucks, which means that if we've stockpiled them at eight bucks and we put them on Kijiji for 10, you see how all this works? Just kidding. It's a show based on integrity. It's a show built on the bedrock of trust. We would never do that to you. But seriously, building costs are out of control, including wood. And it means that people are literally taking down they're sawing down firs cedars maples big ones small ones softwood hardwood it's it's a huge issue al sebring's the mayor of north couch and and kind enough to join us this morning your worship first of all have i correctly pronounced the name of the beautiful area where, where where you serve the people as a public servant you do say north cowichan is that correct yes we do sir cowichan comes from a, a coast salish word uh which means land warmed by the sun we have the warmest mean temperature of any place in canada and we're proud of that okay so, so yes. you're 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 one of these people that's going to annoy us because we've woken up to a blanket of snow and everybody's panicking in our neck of the woods about the flowers and you're probably going to tell me it's like a, it's like a tropical it's like a rainforest what's it like for you out there this morning Dude, in February, I post pictures of myself mowing my lawn. Oh, come on. <laughs> come on. And everybody oh, talks yeah. about, I always hear about the Cowichan Valley. Is that near to you? Yes, that's us. Uh, the Cowichan Valley is is an area, I don't know, about uh, 30 miles north to south and about 15 miles east to west. Uh, the Cowichan River is the mainstay. It's the Canadian Heritage River. And uh, North Cowichan is the oldest municipality in this region. In fact, uh, I think we're the third oldest municipality in BC, incorporated in 1873, I believe. I'm so I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised that a guy that had a celebrated 40-year broadcast career can do a fabulous job telling the story of the beautiful part of the country where he lives and, and painting a picture. Mayor, can, can you continue on and give us a sense of? of the type of topography, uh, the type of landscape we're talking about. When, when we're talking about people lopping down trees, um, it, it's not like some back 40 in the middle of nowhere where nobody's going to miss them. Pa- pa- paint some perspective for us, would you? 
Well, you know, our, it's a valley, and that infers that there's mountains, right? And a lot of the mountainsides around uh, my part of the valley, we have six mountains here. Uh, I'm not going to name them all off because I'll forget one. But the sides of those mountains are forested. Uh, they have been logged, pretty much all of them were logged about 120 years ago. And you have to go back in some history there. Back in those days, uh, the forest companies, you know, there was no tree farm licenses. There wasn't really crown land. We have a complication here of a land grant to get a railway built on the island. But in any event, uh, the, the forest companies bought this land, logged it clear, and, and, and I mean, true clear cutting uh, 100 years ago. And then they walked away and they didn't pay their property taxes on the land they owned to the municipality, which was already extant then. So at the end of the day, the municipality ended up owning that land. They got it all on tax sale. And it's a considerable chunk of land. It's 25% of our, our land base as a municipality. It's about 5,000 hectares. And it's what we call our municipal forest reserve. Now, in the course of that 100 years, those trees have grown back. And, you know, if you look at it now, it's it's pristine. It's beautiful. There's a few areas that we've logged because we uh, and by we, I mean, previous councils in their wisdom said we're going to set up a, a forestry program in the municipality. I believe we're the only municipality in Canada, probably in North America, that has this. We have a standalone department. We have a forester. We have uh, some staff that look after it. We log sustainably, and by that I mean we keep logging forever. It, it would be like you having 20 trees in your backyard and saying, I'm going to take out one tree every six years. So 120 years later, you come back to that first tree, it's, you know, you replant and something's grown there. That's the forestry model that we have followed. We are in the middle of a discussion now about whether we want to do that. Uh, part of the thing with the forest is it's a lot of recreational trails in there. The maintenance of those trails and, and all that stuff is paid for by forestry revenues. But there's some pressure in community that says, you know what, we should just stop the logging and turn it all into park. And there's, there's some issues with that. But the point being, we're having a discussion about whether we even want to continue logging. And we've paused doing that in the meantime. Then along comes January and we find that uh, people are up in the bush there cutting down trees and pulling them out of there. Initially, it looked like it was for firewood. And you can kind of tell, I mean, you know, if a tree comes down and there's every 16 or 18 inches, there's uh, a little pile of sawdust. Right. You can tell they cut it into 16 inch rounds. So, you know, we kind of raised the alarm bells about that and said, stop, don't do it. Uh, called the RCMP. They have an active file. And then a little while later, we discovered more trees coming down in other parts of our municipal forest. And these weren't 16 inch firewood rounds. These looked to be eight and 10 inch logs, which are then thrown on the back of a truck and all out of there. And if you know anything about, you know, how that works. Those I eight, don't eight actually, inch. can you, uh, most of us probably have no idea how it works. Well, I mean, a, a, an eight to 10 foot log gets hauled to a mill and becomes an eight or 10 foot two by four or two by six. You can't do that with the 16-inch rounds, but you can do that with the big, long pieces. So right. that's what we started noticing was that there were bigger pieces. I mean, it's the same, same notion. They're cutting down our trees, but they were bigger pieces that were being um, taken out. So, you know, and, and I mean, there's there's rules and regulations around this. If you take lumber to a, a, a you know, a registered mill, like the people who make the, the, the plywood and the two-by-fours that, that most people buy at Home Depot, 
that stuff has to be, you know, ethically sourced and you have to be able to show where you got it and you got a license for it and everything else. But there's a lot of around here, there's a lot of backyard mills, a lot of people that just mill lumber uh, for a variety of things. The house I live in, the house I'm speaking to you from here, uh, my siding is all Douglas fir siding milled from trees on this very property. It's wow. a live edge siding. It looks really cool. But so, you know, that's to say there are other ways to, to, uh, process this lumber rather than going through the the big legitimate Western Forest Products or, or Weyerhaeuser or whoever lumber mills. So we suspect that's what's going on. And and you know the background here we we normally pre COVID at least we were we would hand out firewood permits. We'd sell them. I think twenty bucks gets you a cord. You have to go get your own firewood. And you know the that was a a fairly decent model because the idea was where we log, there's always some, some leftovers, some trees that are, you know, too small for lumber or they're a little punky or whatever. And people could go in and clean that up for us. So we wouldn't have to, that was, that was great. That was nice. But, um, we haven't issued any firewood permits since the start of COVID because we're just not doing it right now, but people are going in and, and taking it anyway. And they're not just, this is not just the deadfall. This is not just the stuff that's left over from logging. They're cutting down real, live, big trees. And, you know, if you, if you know anything about West Coast Forest, uh, I'm, I'm not talking, you know, old growth that are, you know, six people to get around them, but these are 80 to 100-year-old trees, and they're certainly uh, valuable for, for lumber. I've uh, this has really nothing to do with anything, uh, but just an anecdotal observation. I remember hiking the West Coast Trail uh, and, and talking to someone there w- with a, a ton of experience. Um, we later read the book. I was reading in Blisters and Bliss, the guidebook there, and, and it proves to be yeah. true that the, the absolute oldest trees on that entire, you know, approximately 80 kilometer journey are are like six to 10 feet tall. There are these like little evergreen trees that people say they're 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 older than the most massive ones that you can see. It, it all all it did to me to, to to a city slicker was reiterate. We don't always you can't always sort of at first glance understand the dynamic of a forest or maybe the value of what you're taking down, you know? Oh, fair enough. Yeah. yeah. So so how much of an issue is this? Like, uh, you know, frankly, as the mayor, how pissed off are you one to ten? Um. <laughs> you know, here's the thing: we haven't even decided we want to log, and people are coming in and stealing our stuff. Stop it! It's, is that a ten annoying. out of ten? Is that is that your version of ten out of ten? Uh, probably, probably a nine and a half. Yeah, yeah. that's okay. <laughs> no, it's you know, I mean, uh, it it it's never good when people steal your stuff. But it's particularly annoying right now because we're trying to determine whether we even want to cut any more trees. I mean, council's in the middle of a, of a huge public engagement on that. You know, we've put a pause on all that stuff and all of a sudden, bang, here we go. They're, our trees are going missing. And, you know, to put it in perspective, it's not like uh, they're stripping the forests bare. They're, they're going into places where generally it's not that visible from the logging roads because they want to hide what they're doing and you know it's not like there's big patches of clear cut on the side of the mountain because they're they're doing this stuff but equally um it's you know this is a this is an asset that belongs to the the taxpayers of north couch and it's an asset that over the last 60 or 70 years we've been turning into uh, monetary value that keeps property taxes down. We're looking at whether we want to continue that model. But in the meantime, leave the asset alone because, damn it, it's our asset. Yeah. 
yeah, I'm not. This is not justification in any way. But but you know how this goes. You strike me to be kind of a salt of the earth, pretty reasonable guy, even keel guy. You know, people are going to say, uh, number one, uh, there's a million trees out here. Number two, don't tell me about sustainability. Uh, but it sounds to me like a lot of these people have some. I don't want to start pointing fingers, obviously, but like it sounds to me like some folks probably have some form of of logging experience. I mean, if they're if they're milling lumber in their own yards, they have some idea of what they're doing. They're probably going to say COVID's been tough on us. Uh, the one thing we can do is have fires in our backyard. We need firewood and uh, and, and and dang it. You know, we we've, we've lost, you know, half of us have lost our jobs or it's been a tough year economically. So the one joy we're going to have is to be able to build a deck. But all of a sudden, that deck that was supposed to cost me 400 bucks is, is going to cost me two grand now and I can't afford it. I mean, these are these are the types of things people are probably I would imagine the internal dialogue to to justify this type of action, wouldn't you think? I'm sure there's there's some of that, but you know you, you have to also put it in context that uh, if you want to build a deck out of lumber, you don't do it out of out of fresh milled trees, and if you want to use firewood, you don't want to do that out of fresh cut trees. That's sure. got to sit here for a year and a half before you can burn it. So, um, you know that that I, I get the argument, um, and I I even have some sympathy for it in in the context of at least the firewood because I know there are people in this community that use heat for or that use wood for primary heat. And, and they need firewood. But yeah. this, this is not the way to go about it. So there hang on a second, though, Mayor. So if you don't, uh, I mean, I know about the firewood stuff. You know, obviously, you'd, you'd be looking for probably freestanding deadfall if you want to get great firewood. But 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 I did not know you're, you're teaching me here. I did not know. Any, I don't know anything about lumber. I don't know anything about milling it. I don't know anything. About, I've never built a deck, quite frankly. Nobody wants me around a circular saw. Uh, but <laughs> so so where do you think this is going then? What's your well, speculation? I mean, I, I'm just I'm just saying it's it's not a case of we're going to take this this uh, lumber and mill it and build a deck because you got to kiln dry it first yeah. otherwise it gets all warped. But you know there are other uses for the lumber that could be milled, like the siding on my house. Ah, I mean, got it's, it. It's okay. Do you think that do you think there's a black market? Like are there, are there are there you know trailers you know I mean or or tarped up trucks that are heading in and out of North Couchin with with black market lumber on them? Do you think? Uh, it, that's probably a stretch. I, I don't think there's, I don't think we've lost enough trees to support what you call a black market. You know, it, it may well, however, be a case of somebody saying, you know, I, I, I need some lumber for a project that doesn't have to be kiln dried. And I talked to my buddy who, who has the backyard mill and he talks to his buddy who goes and finds some trees and knocks them down. I mean, it's a, it's a minuscule black market if it's there, but, uh, you know, it's not a, a large scale, as you say, trucks rolling in and out of North right. Carolina with a tarp room hiding our lumber. So, no. So, this is, a, I mean, it's, it's clearly a matter of principle, number one. And number two, uh, you know, the conversation around sustainability is important. It's always fascinating. We're going to we're going to feature uh, Jasper National Park in just a moment. And, and it's always fascinating to talk to people about how how regions are are valued. And and a lot of them are based on infrastructure and a lot of them are based on the, the fact that that much of, of what it looked like a thousand years ago is still reflected now. What, what would you say, or how would you peg the value of the forest or the land around North Cowichan as is? Would you, would you say it's gaining in value based on people's perceptions, things like tourism, et cetera? You know, COVID has really um, brought out the value, as you put it, of, of these outdoor recreation areas. Uh, one of our challenges in COVID, and this isn't, really forestry related, but it is. I, I told you earlier, we have recreational trails. We have some of the best mountain biking in the world right here. 
in fact, there's a there's a thing called the BC Bike Race, which uh, I think there were 12 or 13 destinations around the province. And there's mountain bikers from all over the world who participate in that thing. They didn't hold it last year because of COVID, and I don't think they will this year. But Whistler used to be the the anchor for the BC Bike Race. That was Whistler was the standard, the gold standard for mountain biking. Well, about four or five years ago, they said, you know, sorry, Whistler's no longer the gold standard. North Cowichan is. We have those bike trails. And what's happened during COVID, because remember, these forests are adjacent to residential areas. It's, it's. I mean, we're not a compact community, but you know, we have a lot of interface between residential and, and forestry. And, you know, we've, we've tried to build some infrastructure and some parking lots and stuff to service the people who use these trails for the mountain biking and the recreation but that has been become a problem during covid because there's been a lot of folks that have taken up mountain biking we've had a lot of folks from victoria who've discovered our trails and come up and now we're getting people in the who live in the neighborhoods complaining to us because of all the the traffic and everything that that is tied to the recreational use of the forest so, you know, that's been a spinoff. You, you talk about, about the value. You know, we're, council's being lobbied quite heavily right now from, from the folks who want us to stop all logging, who say, you know what, just don't make it a carbon sink, do something else, stop the logging, because, and I'm seeing this frequently, I want to preserve the forests and make sure that my kids have these trails to walk on, or my grandkids when they grow up. And <clears throat> I get that. But my response to them is, you know what, your grandparents were probably saying the same thing 120 years ago when all these mountains were clear cut. And guess what? Today, you, their grandkids, have trails to walk on. And we've done a, a much better job in the last 60 or 80 years of doing the logging sustainably to make sure there will always be trails to walk on and there will always be forests because we've been doing it right. I mean, you can infer from from what I'm saying, where I come down on the question of whether to log or turn it into parkland, but that's a political that's a political position. But the fact is that you know the, we we totally recognize the value of these forests, both in terms of recreation, in terms of ecosystems, and in terms of, of dollar value of of, of harvesting. Um, and and we try to balance all of those values in a way that that recognizes the people who want trails for their grandkids and that recognizes the fact that forestry revenue can keep our property taxes down and in a way that recognizes that there are some sensitive ecosystems there that we need to work around and, and, and preserve and work with. So there's a, there's a lot of stuff at play when you talk about value. No kidding. I mean, I, I'm so grateful. For the, my, my mind is wandering as you're talking, as I'm realizing uh, that, that you and I, are having from from our different you know vantage points in both of us in Western Canada are, are having almost or experiencing or witnessing almost identically themed conversations about completely different industries. You yeah. know, you're, you're you're talking about you know logging companies that walked away from leases and, and left municipalities without property tax payments. I mean, talk to municipalities in Alberta right now about oil and gas companies and what a hole that blew in their bottom line. The only difference is 100 years. The only difference is we're talking about the now for property taxes. The provincial government, I'm not sure if you're aware, Mayor, has has given oil and gas companies holidays on their property tax payments and it's killed the municipalities. 
And then and, talking and about sustainability as well, you know, I mean, same sort of thing, you know, and, and I'll hand the mic over to you, but, but, you know, you talk to a lot of people right now and it's everybody understands the need about the, or, you know, the conversation around new energy markets and sustainability and environmental, everybody gets that. Uh, but at the same time, people also go like entire communities have been sustained by this activity for the last 70 years. And, and how do we manage that transition? It's fascinating to hear you having the same conversation uh, about a completely different industry. You know, I, I would only say the only difference between your abandoned wells and our abandoned forests is at the end of the day, we ended up owning the forests. That's not an option for your municipalities. Not that I necessarily think they would want it to be either. But, you know, I mean, at least when we inherited the forests and the trees grew back, there was some monetary value there. So. Yeah, that's that's a great point. So, so Mayor, where, did, where does this ultimately go from here? Like, I mean, is this is this the RCMP's? problem is is this something where i mean you're obviously doing advocacy here you are talking to our audience what next well i mean we are continuing to monitor for illegal activities the rcmp are involved we have bylaw services we've beefed that up we now have weekend patrols in, in the bush we never did that before uh council is also going to be reviewing some of the fines associated with our forest use bylaw just to make sure that you know the fines sort of match the the uh, the crime. That they're huge, aren't they? Did I see a million dollars? No, I don't I think. think you did, did I see? I was reading up on this somewhere. I saw some reporting that said a, a, a maximum fine of a million. Oh, here it is: the the Forest and Range Practices Act. Uh, yeah, maybe that's the, federal legislation destroying crown timber fines of up to a million dollars, three years in prison or both. Can you, I mean, geez. Yeah, no, that's, and, and our lands aren't covered by that because uh, it's, it's, you know, just fee simple private lands. So it's not really covered under that. That's for federal crown language. Got it. Uh, whole other thing. I, I don't know whether we'll go to a million dollars, but we're certainly going to look at, um, you know, whether these fines are appropriate because they haven't been reviewed in, in quite some time. And then, you know, we're looking at, at, maybe putting some wildlife cams up there, some video surveillance so we can catch people in the act. All of that costs money and takes time. And, and you know, we also have to be accountable to the taxpayers in terms of, uh, you know, what's the ROI on this? How much money do we spend to, to, to save a few trees? And I'm not minimizing the value of the trees, but well, what's the balance, so. right? So, <laughs> I, don't just, I don't know why I'm envisioning. My mind goes to weird and twisted places as, as we have live conversations here on this show. And I'm, I'm just thinking more it's like advocacy, like sort of a Bob and Doug McKenzie, like a quintessential Canadian, like, hey, like quit cutting down the trees, you hosers. Like, you know, just you more. They should do that one, right? <laughs> I, think, I think that's maybe more. You know, you talk to police all the time about education over enforcement. Maybe that's it. Mayor, uh, in all seriousness, um, you know, wish you well with this. And I'm just, I'm just grateful we had a chance to connect. You and I have never spoken before. I look forward to talking again. Appreciate the time. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you very much. That's uh, His Worship Al Sebring. Uh, he's the mayor of North Cowichan. What a fascinating story. I've been paying attention, of course, uh, as we always do to our live chat and and, and some of the uh, uh, Sarah, you and I were talking ahead of time and going and, uh, and yesterday I'm going, should we like price out lumber? Should we know? And, and I said, you know what? Anecdotally, people are going to be sharing with us and they are, which is so great. I mean, pe- people are telling us like Allison paid nine eighty three nine dollars eighty three cents for a two by eight, um, which is wild. Others are, are reporting that I've and I've heard this, that plywood is a hundred bucks a sheet right now. A hundred bucks a sheet. We had uh, uh, last summer a small gathering at our house for my little guy's birthday. And it was it had been raining for a couple of days. And we've got some drainage issues because the team at Eden Landscaping hadn't yet taken a look. And um, 
and it was just like, sort of like in a crisis management. It was like an emergency management mode. Um, kids' birthday party, people going to be running around, and it's an absolute slop pit mm-hmm. back there. And I had four sheets of plywood, which I laid down over the areas to make it walkable. It wasn't aesthetically as pleasing as I would have liked. Now to think of that as a $400 solution for a birthday party. I mean, that's that that's one example of one person's experience. But that, I mean, that's not I mean, how are people I mean, how are people building garden sheds? Chad told us his parents just spent five grand on lumber alone to, to build the bones of their new personal greenhouse. I mean, you look at construction sites and yeah, they would use, like you said, plywood on the ground for people to walk through, walk over. And those are not now going missing. I also was, I uh, got a, uh, I need to build a garage. Not me personally. I'll get somebody to do that. But I need a garage at my place. And last fall, I got it priced out. And the contractor even then said, hey, lumber prices are high. Yeah. You may not want to make a move on this until next year. Well, geez, I really should have done it last year. <laughs> Although, you know what? Some real talkers are reporting that the cost is actually coming down. They're, they're saying that, uh, where was it? A couple of people had said that that it's actually like sort of a su- supply and demand type situation. Yep. Seeing lumber coming down a little bit. Crazy Fast Eddie says lumber be like Bitcoin in a month. <laughs> <laughs> you might be right. You might be right. I mean, uh, there's there's a variety. Just doing the, the research on this piece, just looking at how there's so many different factors that are, are, are a part of why the prices are where they are and kind of how it's shifting. So it has to do with, I mean, maybe I'm getting a little too technical, but the idea that um, there was because of um, the pine beetle, there's actual like supply of wood is is diminished as well as fires, as well as um, like weather factors. And then you factor in COVID where workers aren't able to come in and actually do the work. I mean, it just piles on piles on piles on piles on piles. And we haven't even mentioned the impact of, I mean, under the previous American president, I mean, some of the, some of the tariffs and some of the right. trade impacts and softwood was really, um, you know, uh, I, I mean, a lot of you talk to people in certain industries that were affected more than others. Mm. Um, I think back to the year I spent in college in England and I always double clutch before I say aluminum, it was, it was you had to wrap your mind around aluminum, yeah. which is just such a cooler <laughs> way to say it. But, um, you know, and softwood and canola. I mean, these are three of the big ones. And I'm sure that there were others that I'm that I'm skipping. But, yeah, so there's been a lot of impact here on this market from a lot of different angles. Um, you know, people say, you know, Wigwith says this is likely industry guys who work in a mill. Uh, that's the thing. Mayor, you can tell he's not wanting to point fingers. There's probably signs I would imagine investigators going. It's pretty clear that this is the work of someone who knows what they're doing. You know what? Actually, what the person probably wants to do is do the nice clean cut. And then once they're done, kind of mess up and hack up the stump to make it look like it's somebody that didn't know what they were doing. Super amateur. Yeah. Super amateur hour. Yeah. Right. Like leave like a loose, rusty chain on the ground. Like, oh, the this sputtering old saw. Meantime, buddy's got his big steel. Like, <laughs> anyway, I can't. My mechanic, I won't get too off track because the show's got to move quick today. We've got a great show in store, but I just have to say my mechanic is a competitive. He, he's he's a timber sport competitor. And and if he's if he's listening right now, I, I mean, he's just a beauty. Wayne Paulson, you can check him up. He's in the calendars and everything, you know, big, beefy guy with biceps like my thighs. He's one of these kind of guys. He runs saws. 
Sam, I don't know why I feel like you're going to appreciate this, but he, he runs. I'm a fan of, of anything to do with saws. He so runs yeah, saws powered by dirt bike motors. <laughs> Not a joke. He fires it up. He's got he's got like 250 cc saws and he's fired them up in his shop before. And they're just like bing, 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 like these things. I told him, I said, oh, I said, oh, I got a I got a chainsaw for Christmas one year. Santa was really generous and I was super excited about it. And, and and Wayne insists on referring to my saw as a garden saw. I showed just him gutless. Just I showed him. A, I was saw. so excited because it's it's like you know it's got the like seventeen inch blade and all this that you know like na, 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 na. and he goes he wrote he wrote me back and he was being nice he said oh that's a nice garden saw you know what's what, like for like trimming rhubarb or something like anyway got, I'm just saying. People that know their way around a saw, it, it, their work, their handiwork, or their poaching is probably quite evident. This is this is a, a very interesting opportunity to transition into this next segment, isn't it? Every Wednesday, speaking of building, speaking of synergy with nature, speaking of sustainability in a century or more of history every Wednesday, in partnership with our friends at Tourism Jasper, we present my Jasper memories and today we're taking a look at how jasper became the cabin capital of canada why is jasper so obsessed with cabins i'm going to show you a website in, in just a second but the history here i mean this is this is incredible when you when you think of the jasper cabin experience i don't know about you i've stayed in several different ones at several different price points several different sizes with a number of different groups number of different locations regardless they are quintessentially canadian jasper's cabins are known for pairing heritage aesthetic with modern comforts and that long-standing culture has as without a doubt established jasper as the cabin capital of canada there are more than 500 individual cabins to rent across the national park we're showing you a whole bunch of different ones here from a whole bunch of different locations you can check them all out yourself if, if you just check out jasper.travel they've, they've got some absolutely excellent Look at these resources like this. 11 unique cabins to rent when visiting Jasper National Park. That's again at jasper.travel. And you can check out, by the way, jasper.travel slash realtalk for more details on that. But the, but the history of this, did you know that Jasper was actually named after Jasper House, H-A-W-S-E, the surname, who in the early 1800s, we're talking like almost 200 years ago, operated no more than 200 years ago operated a cabin that served as a trading post and of course it's it's gone on to establish just a beautiful wonderful tradition i love the archive photos that, that show how these things were, were hand built over the years including in my mind i mean these we're seeing the the, the i mean the, the evolution of what has become really i think there they are on the property of Jasper Park Lodge, I think iconic images representative of this entire area, this pocket of the Rocky Mountains. Our family, just right before COVID hit, we didn't know what was coming. We had no idea what was coming. Uh, took my parents out to the Jasper Park Lodge and stayed at those ridgeline cabins. And I can tell you, you've got the fire going. You, you can see like a century's worth of craftsmanship, but all the modern amenities too. And it, it just, it there's something that happens to your soul when you're out there in the national park, looking back on, on, on the moonlight hitting those 
dramatic roof lines and of course the silhouettes of those phenomenal trees absolutely beautiful want to give you a bit of an insider tip with apologies to the locals for leaking this if you've seen the on the pine bungalows it's a cabin property next to the athabasca river is the, the kumama bistro if you're able to get out there they have a heated patio brand new chef and, and they're serving up incredible alberta favorites like the braised bison pasta <sighs> again you can learn more about the cabins at jasper.travel and don't forget for more on our partnership you can check out jasper.travel slash real talk we'd love to hear your version of my jasper memories just share with us on instagram twitter using the hashtag my jasper and real talk rj last week how much fun were we having combing through people's responses their own jasper memories we got 10 or 15 of them right out of the gates people sharing their own personal family photos reiterated to me what a special place that is for so many people yeah and also on the chat we're seeing a lot of that as well people talking about well a that they need to build a cabin <laughs> but also that uh you know they've got great memories there at marmot basin and uh and yeah that some even family members were born there look at this J- james says my mom was born in jasper my grandfather was head ranger at the entrance how cool is that brenda says i just love jasper i miss not being there i know brenda i can't wait to get back out in that neck of the woods lauren says i'd love to go to jasper dark nights that's a special okay brenda brenda's demanding a real talk retreat in jasper let me just say this sure <laughs> okay uh, no, that is going to happen. It's absolutely going to happen. We're, we're, I'm just we're, writing we're, up a contract right here. We've could got we just, so many. Uh, could I, I get I'll you to say sign so that? Many, I'll say so many things on the record that we do have intentions. <laughs> we're, we're doing the we're doing the real talk cross Canada, the real talk road trip. That's happening yeah. at some point. Um, yesterday, uh, we've we've come up with plans for a dance event uh, that I think is probably going to draw thousands of people, which is still to come. We've got parking lot parties to hold. We have all kinds of Jasper getaways, so it's going to be unbelievable. This is a hard swerve. I don't know the segue here. I don't know how I'm segueing to emojis. Well, what emoji would you use for all those parties? For all the parties? Yeah. Yeah, you'd probably need the the, the um, you'd need the cheersing beers. Mm hmm. You'd need the uh, well, certainly the, maybe the champagne bottle, though people might have unrealistic expectations there. OK, unless we're sort of implying because emojis are all about storytelling, aren't they? Mm. So we might say like have the popping champagne bottle and then the old school microphone. And then maybe people would realize we're calling ourselves, you know, the champagne of podcasts, for example. <laughs> um, so and then we'd have the crown for you as the prince of podcasting, the, uh, the prince of podcasting. Yeah. Um, and then it, it, all sorts of ideas. They're probably pe- people would be excited about the about the party. So they'd be tweeting or, or, or posting uh, eggplants at us and we wouldn't understand what was going on there we'd be trying to figure that out they used to be called emoticons and now they're emojis and 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 they're evolving in in really neat ways actually that are that are far from surface level they're they're far from the shallow end of the pool they're, they're these aren't just kids you know that have lost the art of communication or the art of conversation by using emojis i mean l- let me get to this sam if we can just before we get to our guest our esteemed guest here uh, i wanted to share this tweet and and real talkers i'd love for you if you're whether you're tuning in live right now or catching this later hit me up what's your favorite emoji i shared some of my favorite ones i love the microphone i love the t-rex my little guy wyatt loves that one i love the mushrooms the f- the pure fire the fist pound the snowboarding of course the red light Edmonton Oilers tonight about to light up the Winnipeg Jets. That red light. I'm going to be tweeting that red light a whole bunch tonight, I hope. 
But we've asked you, what's your favorite emoji? And here's what some of you are telling us. And, 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 you know, Donna power watcher is sharing, like she loves the clapping. She loves the thumbs up. She loves the heart. Shalane loves the like face palm. Oh my gosh. She says, I'm the face palm person. My kids love the classic poop emoji. How about this? Eric, who uses the steaming coffee mug emoji shows off his brand new real talk mug. He says by far the most robust mug I own. Thanks pal. We love our mugs like we love our podcasts, hot and strong. What? But this one from Dan, Dan responded. I said, you know, what's your favorite emoji? Dan says none. They have reduced communication to a slightly more primitive form. Words have more meaning and more intention. I don't know. Marcel Denisi is a linguistics professor at the University of Toronto, Professor, thank you for making time for us this morning and welcome to Real Talk. Thank you. It's a real privilege to be here. Thank you. <laughs> is it true e- emojis, uh, the, the art of sort of like the visual, you know, using these these icons or these symbols, these logos, uh, ha- have they reduced communication to a more primitive form? Have they, if I can say, bastardized our communication? No, not at all. Actually, they've retrieved an ancient form of visual cognition. Sorry for this academic terminology. This is why you're here. Uh, Okay, that we had lost and separated from writing and language. We call it art. So people involved in art say, well, that's not language. Well, it is. You mentioned the word that emoji form a narrative at the beginning. I was listening in. Well, it's true. If you go to the medieval churches and look at the walls, what you've got are really artistic emojis. People understand that, grasp the meaning visually much more quickly than they do by, you know, deciphering, decoding words put together. Now, you're uh, the one who said that we've lost, uh, you know, the ability to think. What, What probably that person is referring to is that in print culture, in the age that Marshall McLuhan called uh, the uh, Gutenberg galaxy, our eyes had become accustomed to seeing alphabetic forms. And those are, no, they represent sounds. They are really sounds represented symbolically in forms of letters. So our brain processes the sounds, phonemic. We, we call it phonetic training for children. In fact, it's very hard for children <laughs> to learn how to read alphabetically. That's why we put images next to them so that they can guide the decipherment of the alphabetic code. What emoji has done has connected the two. Now, this is not new. Um, I I always, I'm I'm amazed at how when uh, things come out, we always think that, ah, we are the inventors. Never before in history has this has happened. Well, it has. First of all, pictography itself is older than alphabetic writing. And in fact, there is an evolutionary link between alphabets and letters. I don't know if you can see my hand. That this was the pictograph for an ox, Aleph. Turn it on its head and you get the letter A. That's why I mean by an evolutionary link between figures, pictographs, and alphabetic characters. But our eyes no longer see the pictography in alphabets. So what emojis have done is 
reactivated that part of our brain, which is probably the right hemisphere, to connect with the left hemisphere to produce a hybrid language that is highly effective, emotive, but I must put a proviso to this, a caveat. It is informal. Mm. I'm not sure it'll ever go into the formal register. Why? Not because the formal register doesn't use visualization. It does. I mean, science is, is filled with diagrams, charts, and uh, um, anecdotal aspects that are visual so that we can understand the, the content. So they already have it. It's already been there. It's in everyday writing. And for me, as, a, as someone who studies you know, culture and its shifts, it really brings about how much writing and language documents shifts, paradigmatic shifts in culture related to technology. Without the technology behind it, nobody would take the time to draw figures in their writing. What Unicode and other systems have made available is I can select it. That selection makes it much more efficient and easily used to embed in the alphabetic message, reinforcing it powerfully. Now, I have a proviso as well. I do not use emoji. <laughs> I write about them. <laughs> I was about to ask you which one was your favorite. <laughs> I, I don't use. Let me tell you. Can I tell you how this all started? Of course. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, I'm a professor of linguistics at the University of Toronto, anthropological linguistics. And one day in class, I have a lot, I had a, uh, I'm on the verge of retirement. So I'm saying I'm using it in the past. So anyhow, I had a very large class of 500 students for this linguistics course. So one day I was talking about alphabets and also pictography and comparing the two. A student raises her hand and says, but professor, have, do you know anything about emoji? I said, yeah, you know, those silly little things. They're like cartoon characters. Uh, they mean nothing to me. They're just decoration. That was my answer. So she said, no, they're not. I went home and I got three, I still remember because I wrote it in the book, 323 texts with emojis in them showing me how, hey, there's much more it than you think. In fact, I, I was a little bit uh, um, amazed at this because a lot of those texts involved romance. <laughs> Never in my wildest imagination would I have shown a love letter to one of my professors in the 1960s. Never. I got them. Which means that emojis have opened up a whole new dimension of emotivity that was previously suppressed, hidden, or kept private. It is now out in the open. We're expressing ourselves as openly as ever in the history of writing. So I looked at these and I said, there's much more to this than, than really literally meets the eye. And I started to notice a systematic use of emoji, much like the grammar of a language. So, you know, I'll give you an example. Most of the texts would end with uh, a smiley. Not a heart to me because I'm a professor, right? <laughs> that would have an implication that certainly nobody wants. Sure. But it did have a smiley. I had this one particular student who kept on sending me texts rather than emails. Ah, fine. And would always end with a smiley. I became quite um, 
how can I say, interested in this uh, student. He was um, someone who had difficulties with language. Um, he wasn't quite dyslexic, but he had characteristics that would be called dyslexic. So I would work with him and help him. And he really gained an awful lot of abilities during that period that he was in my classes. So I would take his messages. And one day he didn't put an emoji at the end. So what I did was instantly call him. And I said, something wrong. <laughs> in other words, the lack of that emoji communicated something that was not in the message. And in fact, he said to me, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit down and so on and so forth. The gist of it is that I learned that there's not only a systematic use of it, it's an age-based use. It would be silly for me to use emojis at my age, honestly. I'm 75. Heck, what am I going to... I'll get back to I, I that. I don't know. I don't know. Because, Doc, this is this is the whole thing. Um, by the way, our audience is going nuts over having you here because you're 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 just you're 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 inspiring people. People are thinking back to um, you know one of our audience members is talking about how she was able to learn Japanese by 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 using symbols. Other people are talking about a return to hieroglyphic. I mean, there's there's a whole bunch of fascinating conversations. Um, many yeah. of our homegrown audience members love that you referenced one of the most well-known Edmontonians of all time, of course, Marshall McLuhan. Um, but 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 I wanted to ask you about stigma. A professor of mine, by the way. Yeah. Come on, really? Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Can, can I just, uh, as a selfish question, uh, can I take that path for a second? Can, can you take us into that classroom, what that was like? Did you did you realize at the time who you were learning no. from? No, no, no. This was 1965. His book on uh, understanding media had just come out. And it was, re I'll never forget this incident. He said, it's going to be reviewed by the uh, Times Magazine or New York Times. I, I don't remember. So... On the weekend, I actually got a copy of what the magazine was, and it just destroyed the book. Ooh. I mean, it trashed it. So we're in class the next day, you know, with our heads down very quietly. McLuhan comes in and says, did you people read that book, that review? And we're going, oh, yeah, kind of, we did. He says, I will be famous. Uh. I got noticed. I'll never forget that incident ever in my life. <laughs> oh man, that's absolutely amazing. So, 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 and I talk about me not using it. Okay, yeah, I'm not used to it. I wouldn't have the competence that is required by using it. I could probably develop it. I probably could, but I don't have the interest in developing it. Okay, I have interested in seeing it, and I associate emojis now with personality, with character, and so on. So some people, in fact, you kind of uh, supported uh, this hypothesis because some people said, "What's your favorite emoji?" Well, they're going to use that favorite emoji. It is kind of an icon of their own character and personality. I want to show you what I'm thinking, and therefore who I am. <laughs> One last thing, and then honestly, I'll shut up. I promise I will shut up. Please don't. You know, in looking at emojis overall, let's say philosophically, what I've noticed is that they add an element that probably wasn't there. They're also used for irony. Uh, people get at each other. They attack each other with emoji, and it's quite effective. At the same time, it's not as conflictual as language. Um, if you show, I don't know, uh, uh, a, a face with a, 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 a tongue sticking out is uh, much less uh, conflictual than you're a jerk about it. it. It does 
uh, attenuate that aspect there. So it can be used nefariously. I mean, we are humans. But by and large, what emojis do is raise the positivity level of a message, of a written message, very high. When you see a smiley face, unless it's in an ironic context, it makes you smile. It makes me smile. And and I, I'm kind of happy, literally, to see that smiley face. I should tell you that that smiley face is not an invention of Unicode during the hippie counterculture movement of which I was a part. <laughs> the smiley was worn on uh, T-shirts to indicate make peace and love and smile, not war. It brings that subtext into the contemporary era. And my heavens, do we ever need that right now? Oh, Believe me. And so I think there's a very positive aspect to emojis. Sorry, I'll be I'll be quiet from. No, stop it. You're just you're just like, well, you're not just like me. You're way smarter than me. But I always I always get to this point at parties where I'm like, sorry, sorry, I'm doing all the talking. And and people agree. People agree. Yes, you are doing all the talking, but it doesn't necessarily mean that everybody wants you to stop. You've got us. You've got our full attention. And I have so many questions. And if I can just indicate in full disclosure here to our audience, we have not yet even got to the reason why you're here. I've not even I've not even got to the the, the point of the story. Uh, you're just still setting the table for us. But I have so many. I mean, I have a story about how I almost got fired over tweeting three emojis. I'll, I'll tell it to you very quickly. Um, the Alberta government had had posted something about pride and observing pride. And without getting too into this, and you don't have to comment on this, but in my opinion and in my mind, the Alberta government had not earned the right to tweet what they tweeted about pride. They had not been allies of that community. And so this is while I was still under the employ of one of Canada's largest broadcast corporations. I simply responded to the premier's tweet with three vomiting emojis. Uh, now, I received a call from a senior vice president of this major billion dollar broadcast corporation who asked me what the hell was going on. And I explained to him very quickly that this government had not earned the right to present itself as an ally to this community. He said, you realize to people that don't understand your dynamic or this relationship with the provincial government, it appears as though you are puking all over the pride initiative. And I went, mm hmm, fair enough. Right. Fair enough. Emojis can come supercharged. I actually deleted the tweet. Of course, I then noted publicly why I deleted the tweet. I wanted people to clearly understand. But that's an example that resonates with with me where three puking emojis just about got me fired before. Incidentally, I got fired a couple of months later anyway. So no big deal. But it's one person's story. Yes, no, um, um, they, they reveal so much emotion. They are so packed with it. You know, it's strange to me because we don't draw them ourselves. They're provided for us. It's in their combination and their selection and their location within a text and, their, and the way you respond to written text, like your vomiting emotion. They really grab your attention, really. Mm -hmm. I've, I've never seen anything in writing like it. You know, um, in uh, alphabetic uh, systems, we have invented, you know, what are called prosodic features or exclamation points and things of that nature. They do not come close to expressing that emotivity that the emoji code does. The question that, that arises, and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll just put this as a, as, a, as a kind of footnote, and then you can go on to the questions you want to ask me, is that, when we choose an emoji, an emoji, we're probably not thinking, um, you know, linearly or rationally. We're going to say, I said something here. How do I either reinforce it, communicate it, 
more strongly? How do I organize the emotional part that I want with the textual linear part so that I, A, get the message across forcefully, B, do not destroy the intent of my message, but, but, uh, but make it more smooth, and C, bring, communicate what I am all about, what my personal subjective view on this is about. That's unique. Oh, you can do it in writing. Hey, you can. Absolutely. Poets are great at it. Um, you know, novelists are great at it. Uh, dramatists. But boy, you need a special talent, an ability, and you have to work at it, train for it. This comes naturally. Mm -hmm. And therefore, it's right there, before, literally at, at, at a finger at your fingertips to choose and uh, and use it's I, I, I want to get into this like the stigma around it and you talk about it as a I can't remember if you said casual or informal um, so maybe yes. informal right, uh, yes, method of communication but I think even you know we, we've within this last month added a, a wonderful new team member Sarah I remember I, I did not invoke emojis when I first started texting her I remember the first emoji I sent her was a fist pound which is probably my I use it as a method of communication. I had a guy again, uh, doc, I'm bringing some supercharged examples to the mix. This is my real life. This is how emojis work into my real life. I, I heard from a, a, a prominent uh, a Jewish publisher the other day who had some concerns about a conversation I had with a couple of Palestinian Canadians and he laid out his, 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 his argument. I said, thank you for the feedback. And then the fist pound, we have a history of communication he wrote back, actually quite agitated, said, said, no, 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 said no fist pound like it actually pissed him off. Uh, and of course, I meant no disrespect to me. I've used that emoji as a way of like, like received, acknowledged. I'm on it. Thank you. Um, but in that situation, he perceived it to be offensive and inappropriate. That's his perception. I respect that. They are not appropriate in every circumstance. As a matter of fact, I would imagine with some people utilizing emojis in, in, in communication may come across as, as completely unprofessional. Not only unprofessional, but uh, inappropriate um, as well. Um, it, not that I mean that has to be in the professions. I'm going to get back to your fist pump in a minute because, no, let me get to it right now. There is research that shows that when you show an image of someone with a fist, aimed at you in a message, your physiology reacts to it as if it were a real fist hitting you. Interesting. It's, it's an ersatz. It's not real, but it's felt as if it were real. It's a strange feature of the human mind. I'm not a psychologist. I don't understand it, so I'm a messenger here. But you know what? It is true. Some of those emojis, you feel them strongly, uh, you know, a, a punch or, well, I, I'm telling you, the smile. If the, if the message to me, if the text message to me, I, I, I'm not on Twitter, so I don't get tweets, but I get text messages. If the text message ends with an emoji and it is a positive message, I will smile. It's like an osmosis. I, I don't have a word for it. Yeah. I don't know what to call it, but it works. I should tell you that I'm working right now with uh, two um, doctors at the Massachusetts uh, Hospital. Um, one is a radiologist, the other one I'm not sure why. They contacted me because of my book, because they teach um, uh, doctors, you know, the online uh, system of teaching today is <laughs> is everywhere. So they, they correspond with their students with emojis. 
And they found that when they use emojis to impart certain concepts or notions, the reaction that they get is much more positive. And they assume that it is also much more effective in a learning way. So we're studying this right now. Can emojis, in other words, be used not just as communicative um, devices, but as learning tools? And you had mentioned this before, um, I think, um, if I recall. Um, and also, and after all, visualizations, we do it with children. We always use figures and diagrams with children to help them understand things, grasp them visually. So, if that is so, if our uh, premise that emoji are learning tools in themselves by stimulating areas of the brain which are emotionally involved in the learning process, then they will migrate to other areas of human interaction and communication. Um, I've looked at some of the data. Um, it's, it's an initial phase, but it is fascinating because it seems to say it seems to say yes these are effective tools and they're right there before us so as as a teacher heck i would want to use any effective tool at my disposal and emojis seem to present themselves as such i love this is a really interesting note from kim um uh, Sarah and Sam and myself, all of us are, are nerds in a good way of varying degrees on, on things like the CP style guide. Uh, anybody that's yeah. worked in media knows that Kim is referencing the CP. You can see Sam's got Sam's got his CP style book on hand, ready to rock. We get into debates about grammar and sentence structure. Oh, gosh, Doc, if you could hang out with us and hear the fun we could have really nerding out on this stuff. But Kim says, ultimately, as a professional communicator, she says she'd love to see the CP style guide reflect proper use of emojis she says we can't ignore it the use is here what about this as a small world emily renaud is the national coordinator at canada without poverty she was on the show yesterday as a guest talking about a national rural bus network she's watching today as an audience member she says i had the honor of being in a class on youth culture taught by professor denisi was such a great guest for this show um it, she tees up I mean, you teach youth culture. A great question I saw from Kaylin. Uh, Kaylin's tuning in from Vancouver this morning. She says, I wonder if the if the professor could comment on the different emojis that are utilized by different age demographics. In other words, you know, millennials versus Gen Z versus Gen X and the use of different emojis. Have you dug into that? No, I haven't. But I, I have a general comment on all of this. Um, when emojis came on strongly onto the scene around, let's say, 2015, that was the year in which the Oxford English Dictionary chose the emoji face with tears as the as the important word, whatever the term is, of the year. Right. It's hardly a word. It's an emoji. After that, emojis started to become... Um, diffused throughout the world. I did look at um, data that shows that some countries prefer some forms of emojis, others uh, other forms of emojis, some countries not at all, considering it, uh, <laughs> there are some countries that see it as, you know, uh, a foolish thing of Western culture, whatever it is. Okay, so there are reactions throughout the world to this form of writing. But Reactions to any form of writing have always existed from the beginning of time. So that is not new. But what I've noticed since 2015, and you mentioned, or at least you hinted at it, is that there is an evolution of emojis. Some have become what I call in my book, a basic core 
grammar of emoji. So everybody probably uses smileys with different meanings, but smileys throughout the world. But very few people will use, say, I don't know, the golf emoji or something that is so specific to a culture that it would have would bear no meaning beyond those who are in that culture. This means that it is, sorry for another academic term, that emojis have become an epigenetic phenomenon. They're not just standstill. They're not just, they don't move in meaning. They are evolving constantly in meaning. And the form, therefore, is catching up with the meanings that are required of the new emojis as people use them. I did not expect that when I first used, when I first wrote about them. Although I predicted it in the last chapter of my book that something is going to happen. Either they're going to disappear as the technology changes, and that is still likely because when technology changes, so does writing systems, so does culture, so do cultural systems, etc. But if, but at, on the other hand, if the, if they are if they are used continually, if writing is still there as a mode of communication in human beings, then they will evolve epigenetically. That is an amazing thing. It, they're hardly decorative uh, um, devices. They are actual. They form a how can I say a complementary language to oral language. See, when I'm speaking right now, I'm actually using words and combining them syntactically and organizing them according to the grammar of, of, of English, which has some universal aspects with the grammars of other languages of the world. But it's a grammatical choice. Together, coordinating vocabulary, <laughs> coordinating discourse uh, knowledge, also style. I'm trying to be a professor rather than, a, I don't know, uh, a, a someone who is not. So my language is measured and so on. Now, with emoji, gone. It has its own grammar, its own stylistic characteristics, which transcends the grammar, vocabulary, and discourse styles of, of oral and written languages, bringing us closer together. You know, that was the goal of Unicode, to eliminate the differences among languages and cultures and bring people together through this code. <laughs> Unfortunately, that didn't happen <laughs> because of the epigenetic aspect. In other words, when an emoji is used by someone, say in Canada, it may have one designation and one meaning. When that same emoji is used in Italy, and I know that a little bit better because I'm Italian and I taught Italian for many years, it has a complete, not completely different, but a significantly different usage and meaning that corresponds to how the cultural sense of smiling is in that culture. Right. That's what I mean by epigenetic. It's an adaptive code. It, it is not, it, it tries to be universal, but it isn't. This is, I. We still haven't got to the reason why we're talking today. I'll get to that in just a second. We'll get to that when we're good and ready, right, Doctor? I mean, we'll get to that when we're good and ready. Um, I love please this. Don't, you, please, you, don't call, please don't call me Doctor. Call me Marcel, please. Oh. <laughs> hey, you earned the title. I'll invoke it. But sure, we can, we, can, we can keep it more casual. I mean, we are talking about emojis after all. But it's funny. You talk about, you know, how different generations may perceive it or how the uh, the, the usage may evolve. And, and one, one uh, audience member simply submitted out, out of the fruits and vegetables category a peach. And then they... they 
they said nobody uses that to represent a peach mom um so you know that gives us a good example of how these things can evolve a lot of people making the point that it's important in the absence of face-to-face or in-person communication where there's no intonation or tone of voice an emoji can be great and i do this oftentimes as well where you 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 may want to send you may may want to tweet especially i think from a, a relatively public position um if i engage someone in a in a public exchange it it may grab some attention some of it uh underestimated if if for example sarcasm is not adequately conveyed in other words i'm not trying to be a real jerk i'm trying to be sarcastic so i may throw in a little wink or something like that just to indicate hey listen i'm not trying to start world war three here uh but i do want to make my point no, that, that's exactly the the whole purpose of my book was that it does it adds this element. It allows us to express emotion that in a face to face situation and even in writing could lead to conflict. This attenuates the conflict somewhat. It could also, uh, you know, like you mentioned the punch thing. It also could really lead to conflict or at least to a reaction to the conflict. But if I'm standing face to face to someone and I swear at them. It's, it's a different reaction I would get than using an emoji that would is intended to to express my um, my displeasure at this person. So you're absolutely right. And you know this intuitive grammar is something that caught my uh, attention when I looked at these 323 texts. I said, no, these are not random. These students are speaking a code, a language that, they understand at an emotive, intuitive level, and it is a, f- a powerful, forceful one. And that I'm just learning, but I would never be able to use it because at that time, this was about 2016, maybe to early 2017, I felt that I would have been entering into a, an age category that was inappropriate for me. I agree now that if I were ever to use emojis, it would probably be in such a way that it communicated with my peers, people of my own age, and expressed it. They're doing it with me already. I have professors of semiotics, God help us, who send me emojis. (laughs) Why did I say that? Because semiotics is about meaning. So my question is, what does it mean? What are you trying to do? Are you trying to trick me with this? They're, they're trying to put you in a full-blown wind wobble. So you, you, just, you know, you're rattled. But, but I mean, isn't it amazing, uh, Marcel, that we just we, we really can overthink these? I mean, I, 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 I hope and I, I'm pretty sure I can say with confidence that my mom is watching right now. She, she tunes into the show live every morning. And, and I've even wrestled with this with my mom, who has always been expressive. And she's always been uh, her and my dad, the, the gift of communication is very evident my dad himself a poet and 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 my mom will write these beautiful messages to me and messages of encouragement and i might be like just about to start this or i might be just just getting set to drive or i might be strapping our little guy into his car seat so i'll respond i want her to know i've seen her message but i respond with like three hearts and then of course every single time 30 seconds later, I go, that was so insufficient. Like the, the three hearts is like she took all this time to type this beautiful message about how her day is going or how she's thinking about us. And then I just bang, 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 you know, and, and I really do. I mean, what you're reiterating to us is we, we it saves us time. It helps us cut to the chase. But then we spend a whole bunch of time thinking about it, or at least some of us do. Yeah. 
you know, I want you to try an experiment with your mom. Send her a message without the hearts. See how she responds. Yeah, she'll probably think something's wrong, like you said. Got it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She'll say, what, what's happened to my son? <laughs> yeah, she'll call immediately. Hey, hey, what do you say before we run out of time here? Why, why don't we get to the reason why we reached out to you? Uh, because this is, this, is a, this is a really neat story. I had, I had no idea that the, the Unicode Consortium was even a thing, um, but it oversees standardized language. You've alluded to it standardized language behind emojis and there's a new collection coming uh, with a variation a very specific one on the handshake emoji and if if any emoji were to be invoked in in business or professional correspondence perhaps it's this one to indicate agreement or to indicate a deal here's what's changing a total of 25 new possible combinations reflecting different skin tones not just on the one but on the two different hands that are interlocked which to yes. me is a beautiful, uh, I mean, you can read so much into this. Where does your mind go when you see this evolution? Oh, I, I love this kind of thing. Remember, I come from the counterculture era where <laughs> love and peace and all the colors of the world came together. Yeah, got it. And, you know, um, it reminds me a little bit of the, the colors of humanity of the Benetton, um, you know, um, brand uh clothing where they brought a lot of colors together and this this is really a way of showing today that we really are one world and that the colors it our world is colored diversely but that one symbol bringing it together in the handshake is a marvelous one you know in the era of covid uh we've avoided using that symbol uh, that 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 um you know that protocol of contact um which is not used throughout the world by the way so that e- even here let's be careful because in india they use namaste as a way of greeting rather than handshaking which is uh which uh, you know comes from the medieval period as far as i can tell so um it it, it shows that the world can be brought together through a symbol that grew up in a specific culture that has not had the greatest history of bringing people together in the past. So to me, it is wonderful to see this. I mean, I just I just love it. That one there is nondescript. It's yellow. It means nothing yellow. Yellow is a kind of <laughs> um, a color of... Um, with very little meaning, maybe the color of the sun, uh, the color of happiness. That says to me that different colors of humanity come together in a symbol, in a protocol that brings us together. It really is marvelous, really. I didn't know it existed I, until you told me about it, <laughs> but I, I, I just love it. Me too. The question, will be, the question will be, will it last? Will it spread throughout the, the global village or not? It'll tell us an awful lot about us, uh, about ourselves. It's also an index, as semioticians call it, of where we're heading. If it doesn't spread, it's not good news. If it does, in my view, it's excellent news. Before I let you go, we haven't even talked about gifs or gifs. The, you know, yeah. the, the just the quick video. And, and this is a whole other method of communication. Everyone's everyone's seen yeah. the gal. I don't even know who she is. I should know who she is, but she's wearing a green shirt and she's spitting out her coffee. She's she laughs and spits out her coffee. I personally yeah. love Ray Liotta in Goodfellas. Absolutely having a laughing attack. Um, there right. are a couple, of, you know, pretty, pretty great ones that I like. Everyone's got their own different ones. I think of Leonardo DiCaprio in The Great Gatsby extending his martini glass. 
Yep. Are we having the same conversation about gifts as we are emojis, or is this a completely different conversation? It's it's not completely different, but there is uh, a, a difference in my view. The GIF is what uh, distracts you a little bit more. It takes you away from the message and makes you focus on it. So but then you come back to the message, it loses something. Emojis do not do that. They are integrated with the message. It flows along with it. The GIF makes you stop and makes you look at things in an animated fashion. It is effective in that way. But if you put, think of it this way, if you put nothing but gifts in a message, what's going to happen? It's going to clutter your mind. Uh, and you won't be able to reach uh, the, the, mes- the message fluently or at least smoothly, whereas emojis do not interrupt the flow of the message. They fit in with it and, in fact, reinforce its flow. I, I, I've called this in the past an emotive syntax. Sorry, again, for the academic uh, term. In other words, it flows not according to the categories of grammar, but to the categories of feeling and thought along with those of grammar. The gifts take you a little bit away from that. Mm. Not much. At least that's my my initial thought about it. I haven't studied it completely, but I might. Well, After this, I might do it. <laughs> well, and if you do, and when you do, we would love to have you back. Next time, we'll book you for an hour. Uh, this has been absolutely fascinating. Uh, doctor, whether he likes it or not, Dr. Uh, Marcel <laughs> Denisi is the author of The Semiotics of Emoji, The Rise of Visual Language in the Age of the Internet. He's a professor of linguistics and anthropological linguistics at the University of Toronto and uh, will stand forevermore as one of my favorite all-time guests on this show. Thank you for making time for us. Thank you. Thank you so very much. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> wow. When you can combine uh, passion and insight and an ability to communicate those two uh you have him that's amazing would you expect expect anything less from a linguistics like he's got to be able to have a handle of language like he can he can he can get into the weeds if you liked by the way if you liked that interview go ahead and smash the like button the more the more times that you smash the like button for us on youtube the more more times that you rate our podcast the more time that you rank our podcast the better it does the the more the algorithm is going to make sure that more people see and hear these interviews so thank you uh to those of you that are doing that i the gif versus emoji conversation is mm. an interesting one too and now people are starting to share what their favorite gif is and the funny thing is you know you think and i'll recognize that the, the majority of our audience downloads this on a podcast form so they're just listening but i guarantee you it doesn't matter because when we talk about them they're all going to be picturing the exact ones we're describing yeah right like like one of our audience members i don't have it in front of me now but said my favorite gif is the one of the guy that walks up and, and unfolds the lawn chair you know exactly what he's talking about right the dude that that looks like he's from like like foobar or trailer park boys i don't actually know what that scene is from i don't know what the majority of the gifts are from that i use um like the one of like the old you know the guy the guy with the big beard that looks like he's in the forest and he's doing the slow nod while it slowly zooms in did you know that's robert redford like you know the one i'm talking about with the the the, the like logger guy the big beefy oh, yeah, logger yeah, yeah. guy that's nodding and smiling that's robert redford had no idea or, or the or the one of like I said Ray Liotta and Goodfellas laughing like laughing hysterically. Do you know that one I'm talking about? See, this is what is really interesting to me is your the Robert Redford one I do know of. Yeah. The other ones those aren't in my lexicon. Those oh aren't gosh. in my gif lexicon. Just look at how I respond to people that are calling me things like a, a right wing shill or or a left wing libtard or whatever. The, the, that's always the one I throw back at them because I want to acknowledge it. But but he's 
professors bang on. You can use emojis in a way that's like, like I said to, to the to the publisher that reached out the other day, legitimately making serious, very serious comments about an interview we did on the violence in in the Gaza Strip. Um, I meant no disrespect. Mm. It meant quite the opposite of disrespect when I responded and said, "I've received your message. Thank you." Boom! Like I'm on it. Fist pound. Right. I would never use a GIF to respond to that ever would not cross my mind. Um, so, so I do think there's a difference there. Um, I, mean, I, I hear a segment here, so I'm going to I'm going to take this. Well, yeah, and, and yes, and this is the magic of what you're doing is where these conversations continue on the mm. show. Like, did you see like I saw Lauren, who deserves credit on our live chat, who just said, great job, Professor G.R. And then the, the emoji of the eight ball. Great. job. I mean, like people just find ways to use it to tell stories. I love that. Right. I mean, I think of it. It's almost like in a way where if I were I want to respond to someone's hot take on on politics or life, you know, three of the the pure fire, like three of the fire emojis. That's my way. Instead of, hey, I really appreciated your take. And I think you nailed me. I think you made excellent points and, you know, articulated it in a way that really resonated with your followers. No, man. Three flames. Oh, man. Fascinating stuff. I love. Of course, he took a class from Marshall McLuhan. What? We keep an eye on our hashtag Real Talk RJ, and uh, it's a hashtag, of course, that's powered by the team at Park Power. You know that by now, and I probably don't have to tell you that if you check out parkpower.ca today and use the promo code 2021-realtalk, they're going to knock 70 bucks off your first bill. Commercial, residential, whatever, internet, electricity, natural gas, they've got you covered. Make sure you give them a follow on social media. Let them know that Real Talk sent you there. Make sure you use the hashtag so we see it too on their Instagram the other day. Tips on electrical safety in your home. These are great resources to have. Plus, of course, they operate local, they hire local, and they give back local by way of their profit sharing agreement. You can see there their Park Power Instagram page. Give them a follow and check them out online at parkpower.ca. Our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park are seeing more and more real talkers showing up at the drive throughs right now because for the rest of the month of May, they're offering $1.99 peanut butter parfaits. If you're sitting here going, yeah, what are they going to do? Like these tiny, like half size ones, these like lousy, like real talk versions. What are they like? Like a third of the ice cream and like a couple of peanuts. Think again. Think again. When you order, you let them know you drop my name, Jespo. You let them know that you're a real talker at the or- at the ordering station. You know, right there at the speaker, you let them know you want a peanut butter parfait Jespo style for $1.99. They're going to hook you up with the layers of creamy vanilla soft serge. Serve the, 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 the rich, hot fudge. When we get a live studio audience, everyone's going to be ready to, I'm going to look over them and they're going to go, rich, hot fudge. We kind of do have it. Are you guys ready? Okay, so we've got the layers of creamy vanilla. We've got the rich, hot fudge. And of course, the peanuts topped off with Dairy Queen's trademark curl and red spoon. We have such a lousy time working here together on Real Talk. It's awful. I it's hate brutal. it. brutal. It's the puke face. It's the puke it's face. It's the puke emoji. <laughs> I had a great suggestion from an audience member that said, hey, that 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 VP, that senior broadcast VP, you said you should have given them three of these. I thought, yeah, maybe that would have been a good emoji response to it. I guess ultimately I kind of did in a way. Dairy Queen's like, do you mind keeping your personal employment history out of our advertising read? The Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Parker Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, Y Gardens, and Baseline Road. And a quick shout out as well, of course. 
to the team at Friesen Brothers. I don't have to tell you by now. Did you see, by the way, that our conversation on 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 uh, on frozen potato skins is absolutely taking off online? All I did was mention that a guy by the name of Kyle stopped me on the street to tell me that I had to mention their frozen potato skins. I did not see this becoming editorial content for a full week, but it's resonated with people. These are like cult classics. Apparently, these potato skins, Friesen Brothers has not reached out to me and said, please focus on our frozen potato skins for a full week. They probably wouldn't mind me talking about the sourdough bread from fresh milled Alberta flour or the the Alberta beef pork chicken and turkey and tofu or the Alberta honey or they probably wouldn't mind me talking about all the cinnamon buns and the the smokehouse and the fresh sandwiches and, and the pizza station and the craft beer on tap. But the frozen potato skins apparently have ignited an entire province of, of Friesen Brothers loyalists who are letting us know how you integrate them into your summer barbecue feast routine. You can find out more at all 15 Alberta locations. For more than 65 years, Friesen Brothers has been Alberta grown and Alberta owned. I don't know where this next conversation is going to go. I, I spoke with this uh, business owner yesterday. Uh, she's not just a business owner. She's a friend of mine, too. And um, she, she's, as a matter of fact, a bit of she's a bit of a big deal. She, she's a celebrated business owner because uh, Justine Martinson, who owns a business in Edmonton called Lipstick Empire, has been busy. Hello. Making her real talk Hello. debut. So good to see you here. You've been busy because you, you've been filling out. You've been having to respond to some nominations. And so you've, you've been submitting some write ups because you've been nominated as a top 40 under 40 in your home city. You've been nominated as a, as a top 40 under 40 Canada nationally. But as you and I spoke on the phone yesterday, your business has been experiencing the highs and lows that thousands of other businesses have as well over these last 14 months or so. And it seems to me like, well, you hit a pretty significant point yesterday. Can, can you bring our audience into where you're at? Sure. Hi, Ryan. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I was fired right up yesterday. I'm fired up today. It's uh when I first came into this conversation today, my camera was sideways and I thought that's a perfect depiction of the last 14 months. Mm. Everything is sideways. <laughs> like it has been insane. Um, and when I spoke with you yesterday, I said last night, um, I was filling out my nomination packages for Alberta women entrepreneurs for top 40 under 40 Canada, for top 40 under 40 Edmonton. And I am so grateful, but as I'm typing and I am like breaking the keys on my keyboard because I'm just angry and fired up, I'm writing about, you know, how I have created careers in the beauty industry and in an industry that typically just creates jobs. So I'm writing about this. I'm writing about how I want to be a voice and a strong voice for the personal service and beauty industry and, you know, just propel our industry forward and change some of those stigmas that are out there. And I'm writing this and I'm thinking, but look what we've gone through. And who's speaking up for personal service and who's talking about all these underlying issues and the holes that we're facing right now. And I thought, hmm. You say that you want to be this voice and you are this voice. So be that voice. And so, so here, here you are. are. So here you are on the show. Now, I, now I know because you and I spoke for a while. Yes. And I could hear I could hear it in your voice. I was like, oh, yeah. I, I said it to you. I was like, I, it's, it's like a mix of like power and mm -hmm. and and despair. 
That, that was yeah. what I heard in your voice yesterday. And I know oh, yeah. because I've seen your business in operation. I know that, you know, when we start talking, when we get into this conversation about shutdown measures and the impact of COVID on businesses, um, the conversation. And I know because I've been part of so many of them and I facilitated mm-hmm. many of them. And oftentimes it, it's been a choice. Like, when do we hear about businesses in the news these days? It's businesses that yeah. refuse to close. It's business owners yeah. that are being arrested. And you come to the point where you would believe that there are polarized ends where you're either troubled that Alberta has the highest ICU uh, admissions in the province's history right now, that our ICUs are absolutely jammed. Uh, and that you're concerned about the health and well-being of people or you're concerned about businesses and you're concerned about people losing their life savings and their livelihoods and and the unemployment rates and the impacts on commercial real estate and everything else. And I know that you were, if I can say you were concerned about having this conversation because I know you don't want to come across as somebody that's insensitive to or unaware of the public health implications of, of this. Absolutely not. Like that is not what I want here because I just, honestly, I want everyone to do everything they can to keep everyone safe. I want to do everything I can to keep my staff and our customers safe. And we have done that. And my heart goes out to all of the healthcare workers. Um, I understand the health crisis here and my heart breaks. But I want to talk about you know, some other issues as well. And I don't want to negate from the fact that there's so many things that are happening right now, but this is my reality. And I've talked to so many business owners in my industry and we're struggling. And, you know, Lipstick Empire as a, as a business, uh, we're doing exceptionally well when we're open, but this is our third shutdown. I've laid my staff off now three times. It is heartbreaking. I want to be the voice and I want to support others in my industry. So let's, let's talk about it. Let's bring some things to life. Let's. Yeah. You told me, you said, you you said yesterday, you essentially said, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Like you've already, you've you've already written a letter to the premier. Right. And, and and like how many letters is Jason Kenny getting people CC us on a whole bunch of the emails. Like I can, I can report he gets thousands a week. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and I know that you've been in touch with elected political representatives. I know that there are business lobbies and there are agencies and organizations that advocate on behalf of business. But this is a personal conversation. Like, I'm not I'm not trying to spin this that that I don't know you. I'm not trying to pretend like you're not a friend of mine. I heard the tone in your voice yesterday and I said, I know that what you're saying is going to resonate with a bunch of people. But the audience Mm -hmm. is going to say, what's the point? What are you guys getting at? What's the call? what, What are you looking for? So, so take us into the reality right now of what this means. I mean, is your business, I mean, are, sorry to ask it this way, but are, are you at risk of losing your business? Um, I, I said this to you because I, I don't want to come across as arrogant in any way, but when it comes to my business, I have put, this is my life's work. This is my life's purpose. And this is my life savings, quite frankly. So my whole world has gone into this business. I started, you know, my first business um, when I was 23 years old. And then I started this business at 27 years old with no partners. Okay. It is a female run business, small business with no partners. So I want to paint this picture because this is my world. Okay. So 
first shutdown, we are so concerned, obviously so concerned about, we want to keep everyone safe. We want to follow all of the policies and procedures. We, uh, we put up our glass shield. We wear our PPE. We follow everything to a T. So in the first shutdown, and, and this is where the confusion lies, we were in phase one. So it's like personal service. You were not essential, not essential. You need to shut down right away. Okay, we did that. Okay, three months, we were closed. I laid off all my staff. We were scared, but I just drained my life savings. And thank goodness it was there. Now, there was government support. There is government support. You just have to fit into a tiny little box. And as long as you fit into that criteria, you will get subsidy and you will get support. So that in itself was a huge struggle. And what I, I don't think people understand because we don't talk about it and that's why, is that it takes three plus months to actually get your funding. And you have to pay, like so for payroll, you know, we were encouraged to bring all our staff back, but you actually have to pay out of pocket first and then you get money back. And it can take quite some time. So. For myself, I, you know, had my business model was to have at least three months worth of income and worth of savings with nothing coming in. So that was my thing. That's not everybody's thing. That was my thing. thing. People said I was crazy to hold that kind of money in my account, but I just knew I needed to save that for a rainy day. So what did I do? I drained that, but came back strong. So then we refilled that bucket. And then second shutdown, it's like, okay, now you're more important. Your industry, you know what? We like you. You make people feel good. You make people look good. Um, you aren't going to be shut down in the first phase, but you're still going to be shut down. But we don't know when. So just hang tight. Okay. So then we're, we're shut down, but you're doing everything right. There's no cases coming from your industry. Okay. Great job. You're spending so much money on PPE and you're doing everything right. Awesome. Okay. Boom. Shut down. Six weeks again laid off my staff again. Okay. Then I'm so grateful. Essential or uh, sorry, um, personal service. You can come back early because you're, it's not you. It is not you come back early. You're good. So you came back early. So grateful for that. Started recouping some costs. Again, we have such a loyal clientele. Oh my gosh. Our clients are our champions and they have made us feel so essential from day one. They always have always will. We love them so much. Next shutdown. We're so confused. You're, you know, I did not see this one coming personally. And maybe that's my own ignorance. And I chose to bury my head in the sand. It, this one hit me fast and hard. It really did. So we know how to shut down by this point. I laid off all my staff. You know, I have 10 employees and contractors who are my world. They're my everything. They're my team. They're my family. Two of them were supposed to go on mat leave within the next couple months. So they're on an early, you know, forced mat leave because, you know, by the time we get back, what do you do? You don't lay them off and then go on mat leave. It's, you know, it just kind of throws off everything. So we keep a smile on our face and stay positive and okay, this is the reality. So what do you what do you need to happen? Like, I I can see I mean, some people are chiming in right now and say, you know, Rachel says, thank you for speaking the truth. And I know that you're speaking on behalf of business owners that are frustrated and it's brutal. Mm -hmm. And and then, of course, like, Justine, I'm not going to we're not going to sugarcoat it or pretend like it's not a reality that we've seen a huge spike in covid cases and the ICUs are jammed. I know that you're you know, so so people are going to go, well, what like 
what are you looking for? What what would change? I, where where do you want the conversation to go? What do you want policy to look okay. like? Okay, I want some support. I want some clarity. I am not advocating for opening early. I will never go against what the government says. Absolutely not. That's not what I'm saying here. I just, there is support, but you have to jump through hoops to get it. And I know any, you know, business owner that's out there will know that little pending sign or symbol on the the small and medium enterprise grants, um, you, like that's the story of our lives. It's everything's pending, pending, pending. And everything's up in the air. When will we reopen? When will we get our money? Will we survive? Will we come back from this? Well, it's, it's the anxiety. I just would love some clarity. And I know, and I'm not throwing darts at the government in any which way or form. Um, they are, you know, creating this playbook and we're all trying here, but there are so many holes. And I just find we're paying out of pocket for our PPE. Um, there is some funding, but it's just, it's, it's not enough. I understand there's, there's other industries that need support too. I just, I want to be a voice that speaks up for my industry because I haven't heard one. And, and that's not okay. So I, some clarity, some support. What's, I mean, people, where can we go from here? Yeah. I mean, people are writing in right now. I mean, like, you know, Adventure Cycling writes in to say, for example, now you got to get an expert on the show, a fitness expert. You know, they've been hammered uh, during this. Yes. I know it's been really tough for gyms and workout facilities. And, and then I also know people are going to talk about. See, here's the problem. I almost find that in a conversation like this, I have to have, I have to spend. I don't mean I have to, but I spend yeah. so much time reflecting what we might describe as an agreed statement of facts. Right. Mm -hmm. COVID is a problem. We understand the science behind transmission, or at least we continue to explore that and listen to the experts. Let me say we were talking just the other day about aerosol versus contact transmission, all these types of things. But 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 generally speaking, I think members of the public will say uh, because I'm seeing even some of the commentary right now. Hey, listen, sorry, it's it, it sucks. It sucks for Justine. It sucks for other people. It sucks for gyms. It sucks for restaurateurs. It yes. sucks for a whole bunch of folks. But also it's it's a necessity right now. Like we have to do it. And I just think I, I don't blame somebody that's saying, you know, I talked to an ICU doctor that's exasperated and overwhelmed and, and exhausted. And then I talked to a business owner or to hundreds of business owners, just like you, Justine, who are at a time. I mean, you, you're you're pretty even keeled today. Um, but, but, a, but a I lot really of people, like <laughs> but, but for a lot of people, um, this has been nothing short of their worst nightmare. And, and people are losing their houses. People are losing their businesses. They're losing their life savings. And I, yeah. need, I guess all I'm trying to say right now is, is we can have a conversation. This can be a safe space for conversation where we acknowledge most of this audience. I want to say all this audience cares about their fellow humans. We acknowledge mm -hmm. that this is a health crisis. We also must acknowledge that a lot of people financially are getting absolutely hammered right now. I know. I know. And it breaks my heart. It absolutely breaks my heart. And like I said, this is my situation. I'm speaking about my situation being a small business owner. Um, I want to be that voice for my industry. That's like, yeah, we're always kind of just pushed aside. You know, it's like, I understand that we need to be in this lockdown right now. Um, but it's just, I just want, I want some clarity. It's like, how do we move forward from this? I'm so fortunate. I have an excellent business and an excellent business model. And for that, I have worked hard. And for that, I am so, so proud. Yeah. We are going to come back strong like we've done the past three times. We're going to come back with a vengeance. We have a wait list of over 300 people. Can't wait to come back safely. 
you know, Mm. and we will roll that out. So everyone is safe. Everyone is taken care of. But my staff who like, this is their career. This is their livelihood too. I cannot wait to get them back to work. But I just, what's hard for me here is I, I guess I just, I just don't understand why we're pushed aside and why our industry, because it's our job to make people look good, feel good. Why we are kind of what we're deemed so. Well, I think I know why. Well, I don't know why, but I think I might know why. Uh, and, okay. I, and, and, and I think it might be because it's well, and, and actually, Justine, I, I don't even know if this is because I think like even like elective surgeries have been canceled. In some cases, yes. they're not even elective surgeries like people's cancer surgeries that may cate- be categorized or qualify as elective or non-emergency surgeries have been bumped down the road. And, and quite frankly, I think that, that people probably can I just say it probably lack sympathy like oh you can't go get your you know your beauty treatments done oh you can't whatever right I mean people can't go get their hair cut right you know there would be a lack of sympathy there where people would say and there's a stigma of course and it's a luxury it's considered a luxury service and I get that but what I was saying about our clientele and our customers is that they they know how essential we are they have expressed how essential we are for a lot of people it's their only reprieve Sure. It's their only time to get out of the house, to get away, to not think about all the crazy stuff that's happening in their world. We are therapists. We're caregivers. We are so much more than, you know, just skin deep. So it's just we've created like our monthly membership program, which people come in once a month and it's just for them. It's their time. They get to breathe. They get to escape. That does wonders for your mental health. Justine, uh, first of all, well, not first of all, but let me just say I'm proud of you. Uh, I, I'm, you. You, you your, your nominations as top 40 under 40 nationally and locally are very yeah. well deserved. I have no doubt that that you're going to see your way through this. I don't mean that in a way that's just sort of like a, oh, you'll be fine. I'm not saying it yeah, like that. You'll be okay. But if I know anybody, if I know determination, I know it's all over your face right now. And and I know you're Thank speaking you. on behalf of a lot of people. You're just here's the thing. We're, you, you and I, we knew we were not going to solve it today. Uh, but this is no. a conversation. It's important for people, I think, to hear themselves represented. It's important to have these conversations to make all of us think and, 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 and to really sort of chew on the policy we see in front of us and determine whether or not we think it's appropriate. Thank you for taking the time to speak out today. We appreciate Thank it. Thank you so much, Ryan. You, you got take it. Care. Have a great That's day. Justine Martinson. You can find Lipstick Empire on Instagram. Uh, this is Alex uh, is absolutely correct on our live chat saying it's not just business owners getting financially hammered. Everybody's going to be in it. Do we even need to start? I mean, do do we want to start talking about right now about debt and deficit and repayment and federal budgets over the next 15 years? I mean, do we even want to? I would rather not. We were talking about emojis and gifts and everybody was happy and positive. The last thing I want to do is start talking about repaying a trillion dollars. I wonder if that's just going to be a, a yoke around the neck for the next, you know, and, and, and everyone's just going to go, well, that was back to 2019 to 2021, man. <laughs> That's what that was. I mean, it's just there's going to be such a reality there for people. Why don't we get into this and talk about this? Because because Sarah, I know you have an update on uh, kids going back to school. The, more of a local story here for, for Albertans. And we'll talk about that in just a second. Let me remind you that the team at, at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge right now, if you're getting into the summer season and you're realizing maybe you've got a little a bike trailer you're looking to pull or one of those pop tents, maybe it's an SUV you're shopping for. 
Or heck, maybe you're looking for a new rig to pull your fifth wheel. It's going to be tough shopping these days. The fact of the matter is, and they're not trying to hide it at these Dodge dealerships, selections lower than they'd like. It's a manufacturing reality. The microchip market is is really facing shortages right now and it means that while they might have four or five hundred trucks on their lot they've got like a hundred of them right now but here's the thing nobody has more than sherwood and st albert dodge plus the two dealerships under the same ownership group are able to share inventory so you have double the selection plus all that great service that they've been known for for years and years at sherwood and st albert dodge alberta's best selection of jeep and ram you can go to, plus by the way the other day i was in there at st albert dodge have you heard of the dodge demon have either of you heard about the dodge demon i have not i'm gonna put it i'm gonna put it on my i'll put it on my instagram story today you can follow me on instagram at ryan jesperson um the dodge demon is the fastest production car in human history it's got 800 plus horsepower they have a dodge demon at st albert dodge right now up for grabs I don't know if I want to say what they're selling it for because I'm not the salesperson, but I feel like we need a um, it's out of my price range. Fair enough. Fair enough. I I really feel like we need to have a what's his name from Home Improvement? Tim Allen. Tim the Tim the Toolman Taylor. Taylor? Ah, ah, ah. Yeah, that's what like we need that. when you when you start talking about that kind of horsepower. Ah. The Dodge Demon with the rear slicks and 800 horsepower. And, ah, 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 ah. <laughs> and then we could have you like behind the fence. Yeah. Just with your just just with your eyes. Showing, I should probably not. Yeah, Wales, there you go. <laughs> what was the name? Al, right? Yeah. Wasn't it Al? No, no Wilson is no, the name. Wilson. Wilson. Al was the assistant. Al was the assistant. That's you, Sam. You're Al. Was this, was Home Improvement? Like a, Al. Was, was that a formative show? A big favorite of mine. I think I was just the, uh, I was the, I was the right age of, of young boy when that show was a hit and I loved it. So I guess what we're getting at here is the new slogan, Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. Ha, ha, ha. It's a good thing they advertise on a show, you know, not a billboard. That'd be a lousy billboard campaign. You'd have to explain it all. Westworld Computers has a fully authorized Apple service department that trained technicians with more than 40 years of experience can upgrade or fix any Apple product from your Mac, your iPad, your Apple Watch, your iPhone, whatever it is. They've seen it all. You can book your appointment for service at westworld.ca or, of course, call one of their trained Apple service advisors. You can find the link to their website on ours, ryanjesperson.com under the sponsors tab. While you're there, ask about their Apple trade-up program. They give the highest values for your trade. They'll even transfer your data to your new Apple product in complimentary fashion. Um... I'm just trying to think because I do have one of those old I, those old iMacs, the orange one I was yeah, telling you I about want it. from 1996, 97. I think I got it. Um, I wonder what the trade-in value of that would be. Is it like is it like when you start like when a car is like old and loses its value, but then it becomes a classic and then the value starts to rise? Is my old iMac worth like six thousand dollars now? Well, I don't know about six thousand dollars. I don't have uh, I don't have my hand on the pulse of the secondhand iMac market. But it's probably I, not six. I, grand. I, I would I would classify that as a vintage piece of equipment and and should be treated as such. Oh, absolutely. What would you do with it? I would probably find a way to. I'd either just put it on display or I'd like mount a modern monitor in it so I could keep the shell but still like use it as could a monitor. Could we do that? Yeah, sure. We, we could have put it on a, in the background. We could have a modern monitor inside the body of the old iMac? Okay, let's chat after the show. Wonder I think if, I can make that happen. Let's take this offline. <laughs> no, let's waste everyone's time talking about it for the next 20 minutes here on Real Talk. <laughs> 
Shalane says, it's looking like my kids are going to be back in school on Tuesday after our conversation with Justine Martinson right now. A lot of people are saying, you know, kids should not be going back to school next week. Um, you know, I, I, this is, I suppose, a matter of opinion, personal opinion. You hope that the government's making these decisions based on informed opinion and, and public health. Sarah, what are the details we're keeping an eye on? Oh, boy, this is a tricky one. Yes. Tuesday. So after the long weekend. Uh, it's looking like uh, there will be return to school. So schools are scheduled to return to in-person uh, learning on Tuesday. This is province-wide for all of Alberta. Is that right? Uh, for most schools, yes. May 25th. The really, I mean, the ATA, Alberta Teachers Association, says that they feel that uh, students and staff and schools need to be better protected from the risks associated with COVID-19. That's from the president of the ATA. The really interesting thing which people are kind of, you know, humming and hawing over is that uh, Dina Hinshaw, she said that uh, moving to at-home learning was an operational decision and that was made to staffing, to, around staffing and isolation challenges. So saying that there is no, that health risk isn't necessarily a concern. She said, I don't believe there to be a public health risk in bringing children back to school. And that's where the ATA definitely is uh are you a little surprised that they're bringing kids back you know you're you're bringing them back with three weeks to go i mean i know it's first of all it's a huge disruption for a lot of parents i mean our 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 household included carrie's whole kind of weekday structure just went bam and i know that obviously thousands of other people's did as well so some some parents are probably eager to see their kids back in school other people are probably going i mean i you know we we were hearing from people we're getting emails and and tweets from people that are saying you know they figured that when the kids were sent home a couple of weeks ago or last week whenever it it was that that was it that was it for the year yeah are you a little surprised i'm i'm shocked yeah it just seems i don't know it seems i don't know i'm I'm not the education minister i'm not it just seems counterintuitive but we're just on the downswing like we just are starting to get this spike that they talked about under control and now we're going to send the kids out and there's variants they're like the variants are coming in hard and fast so and and as we were talking to justine i saw some people saying hey you know we got to learn our lessons Mm. you know our shutdowns haven't been real shutdowns our lockdowns have not been real lockdowns and and we've been we, we we are so eager to reopen and i get it I understand it. Like, uh, you know, I, you know, I was telling you about my pal Blair and he and his business partner, Sal, you know, they're spending, they're, they're digging it. Everyone's, everyone's running, not everyone, you know, a lot of people are running on lines of credit now and they're way deeper into their lines of credit than they're accustomed, you know, like six figures, some people, seven figures or more in a position where typically they would have had a surplus, their business would have had savings and, and still patios were able to be open. And so, so they're investing in building out their patio infrastructure to try to glean some revenue and then patios are shut down. So then they're, you know, and this comes back to the $8 and 50 cent two by fours that they're using to build these things and the whatever. Um, but then at the same time, well, what the hell do you want? Right. You know, COVID cases are going out of control. The variant cases are going out of control. The ICUs are full. Nobody's going to complain about that. I think the optics were really bad on a lot of the, uh, the patios. I think a lot of the patios were not opening in the spirit of what was intended. And I think that many law abiding and, and parameter respecting businesses in hospitality were probably royally ticked off. At some of the other businesses that were cramming their patios as 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 quickly as they could, and I understand why, because if you have a chance, it's twenty five degrees for our American friends. It's it's a decent day, you know. It's like seventy, uh, it's like eighty for the first time in a while, and and all of a sudden you're as a business owner going, 
I could have a $6,000 day today. I could have a $7,000 day today. So, of course, you're going to do everything you can. Or maybe you brought in $4,000 worth of inventory into your fridges and your freezers and you need to get rid of it. And you'd love to sell a few more Santa Fe salads than you might normally sell. And so you pack your patio. And then what happens? Then the whole shebang gets shut down again. And, you know, you think realistically and and I'm I'm not coming at this from a position of like, I think I know better than this, that and the other. But I just look around anecdotally at the jurisdictions in the world. And there are a lot of factors at play. But the jurisdictions in the world that have been able to reopen in meaningful fashion, in other words, right now, they're having full-blown music festivals and restaurants are wide open and everybody's hanging out. And it's because they legit shut down for an extended period of time. Everybody felt pain for a while and then it was done. Precisely. And I mean, we talked to the epidemiologist last week talking about that, you know, oh, we're not an island. But he said, you know, you can make an island if you have substantial lockdown, real lockdown. And I mean, Justine, our just uh, our last guest, definitely touched on all of this, this push pull, this open, closed, open, closed, less. I definitely called uh, that to my attention, saying this is exactly the point if Seven weeks would have done it and we could have we could have stamped this sucker out. So so here we are and we're kind of guilty of like what it could have should have. But but at the same time, I think it's important. Did you see there's I mean, there's calls for there, these these government responses federally, provincially will be audited. I mean, there will be there will be reports there will be mm. investigations. Auditors general will take a look and, and will evaluate how governments did. I acknowledge that governments at every level, uh, you know, mayors, premiers, the prime minister, the president of the United States. Um, chief medical officers of health have been in an impossibly difficult position. It's been an impossibly difficult year. Leadership has has exhibited itself or has been devoid in different fashions, in different contexts. Um, it's not been an easy job for anybody. Fair, but like if we're saying, okay, let um, we can't turn back the hands of time. We can't go back to March 2020. Fair enough. But now we are looking at schools reopening. Have we not learned anything from the last 12 months? So this is where I'm kind of like, okay, fair. We can't turn back the hands of time, but we can take our lessons and move forward in an informed manner. Yeah. Ashley is still hung up on home improvement. Ashley chimed in to say that she had the biggest crush on JTT. Even I know, even I know that is Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Oh, me too. Whatever happened oh to Jonathan gosh. to JTT? Is he still doing a thing? You're doing a hard Google right now. I'm doing now. a Google search on JTT. What does it give me? It gives me Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Um, it, it looks like, uh, oh my gosh, the Google search, the suggested search, which home improvement kid died? Earl, what? I don't think, uh, anyway, I don't know. Why did I do that live? That was weird. <laughs> Vice has a story at vice.com in 2019. What happened to Jonathan Taylor Thomas? What happened to Jonathan Taylor Thomas? Interesting. We can we can read that. The, the once ubiquitous star of Home Improvement in the Lion King. That's right. He was Simba in the Lion King. <gasps> right. Vice investigated. <laughs> okay. Well, you can read hard hitting journalism there, and then and then also some some critics online, like like who was it here? Uh, M. Wareham is is very critical of 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 my Tim the Toolman Taylor's. Oh, 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 says the impression was just like a chain smoking seal who's just given up the habit a chain smoking seal that's just uh okay i need to channel a seal first like like 
I no, actually, because that was the other home improvement sound effect. The uh, like uh, kind of that one. Yeah, it was it was it was a series of expressive grunts. It was expressive grunts. Yeah. Uh, so uh, 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 a chains a chain smoking seal. Uh, I won't continue to pollute your podcast feed everyone good radio folks good radio it's nothing but the best it's nothing but the best here on real talk i would imagine that when word spreads that we're doing uh live impressions of of animals chain smoking animals uh that have given up the habit more and more people will flock to the program which means it's probably a great time to mention a couple of the partners that keep the show going the team at eden landscaping had advised us to keep sherry the cherry tree out of the ground until the inevitable may snowfall happened well once again the phenomenal incomparable time tested team at eden landscaping was right they were right again. They've been right time and time again, translating your dream into reality. If you want to see evidence of it, you want to see proof of it, check out their website, landscapeedmonton.ca. You'll be able to see some of the projects that they've been working on bringing their clients' outdoor spaces to life. You can, of course, check out the website if you want to get in touch with them, or you can follow the link on our website, Sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. Eden Landscaping's team loves to solve problems. I was talking to Mike over at Eden a while ago. He said, it's okay, Zad, I don't mind if you tell Real Talkers problem solving's our jam. I said, you know you're going to get some really tough challenges. He said, I love it. It's what they do at Eden Landscaping. The team at Kubi Energy, you know, proudly presents positive reflections. Boy, were a bunch of you commenting on this week's edition. You know you can find it as a standalone file to share. If you want to infuse a little positivity into the life of a friend or a family member, maybe even change the course of your own day, you can find those in their own separate category on the Ryan Jesperson The Real Talk YouTube page. Kubi Energy has Tesla certified installers, journeyman electricians and electrical apprentices working across Western Canada on small residential installations all the way up to huge industrial ones. You can check out more at kubienergy.ca. The team at Local Waste wants us to remind you that they love to talk trash. That's right. They love to talk and earn your business. A lot of you they know have been working with the the big multinational garbage companies. Typically, they're going to try to oversell you on what you need, right? You've got the big, huge bin. Let's be honest. You're not filling it every week, but you're paying for it. You're paying for the big one. Local waste is based on integrity. It's a core value. And they want to grow your business with you, grow the relationship along the same way. You can check them out online, localwaste.ca. And don't forget, coming up on Friday, Local Waste presents Trash Talk. You can send your email with the subject line Trash Talk to talk at ryanjesperson.com. You got something you got to get off your chest. That's how you can make it happen. And just like that, two hours is up. An absolutely amazing show. I'm going to go back and watch that emoji interview again. That's a sign of a good one. Uh, One that just encourages us, inspires us. I absolutely love it. Wanted to let you know, coming up on tomorrow's show, he's now an independent MLA. That's right. After being booted out of the United Conservative Caucus, Drew Barnes is going to join us coming up on the show. We're going to ask him what this means for his political future. What does this mean for the future of conservatism in Alberta? Maybe not just his journey, but bigger picture. How many more does he see maybe leaving the party on their own accord? Anybody? 
Anybody? We'll go there and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for making today's show a part of your routine.